The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Hey, hey, welcome to another edition of the Disability Law Show. So Jack, to have you along with us for the hour. Of course, uh, the guy with all the information and the knowledge, that would be Martin Willems. You can always reach out to Martin beyond the hour of the show. We always advise you to do so. If only for a chat, that'll cost you nothing to pick up a phone and pick his brain a little bit. one 821 5900 to do so. Help at Disability Rights. And for any quick, concise memos and ideas, or at least questions you have about LTD, most of the answers can be found at ltdfaq.ca and pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. Take that for a spin as well. A couple of key pieces of information inputted anonymously by you. And they should tell you right away if you should carry forth with a case or not and uh, might have a, a chance of getting back at that insurance company and going forward with, with what you think could be a potential problem. Again, uh, Pocket Disability Lawyer. .ca. But Martin, let's get right into these emails off the top. Al, first one says, guys, I have a job where I work on site in a remote area. I have severe neck and back pain and have difficulty traveling to the site where I work 12, uh, 12 days on, 12 days off. At site, I do sedentary work. But in order to do that, I have to uh, also do inspections on site, which requires me to drive, walk, climb, stand for extended periods of time. The insurer deny my claim as it says my commute to the site is not considered part of my essential duties. They don't seem to understand that it is not only the commute that required me to drive slash fly. I also have to site inspections daily, which really impact my pain to the point that I am in so much pain that I cannot even think straight. Uh, uh, Martin, what are my options here? So this is an interesting situation. Um, Remember when we're dealing with disability policies, you always have to look at what is the definition for total disability. And total disability in the context of a own occupation period would be generally something which says you must have a condition that prevents you from performing the essential duties of your occupation. Now, does that reach this scenario? In other words, the fact that you have to travel to and from a location, does that, in, that, does that count as a part of the essential duty? Uh, I've seen th- this scenario before. I've been consulted by people who would have had severe anxiety um, with respect to driving. So the person may say to me, I live in town A and I work in town B. I have to travel 30 to 40 minutes to work every day. I have extreme anxiety, specifically also driving anxiety, because I may have been involved in a very serious car accident, and I have difficulty just getting into a car. Um, Then the insurance company says, well, that's not part of your essential duty. You getting to and from the office is not part of the duties of your occupation. In other words, if you were working as a teacher, teaching children, doing research, marking assignments, um, preparing assignments, etc. That is part of your essential duties. Driving to and from the school is not part of the essential duty. But I think everything is never just black or white. There's always some gray. And if your occupation is such that, say, for example, you work in a specific industry, and in that industry, all of them, you, all occupations, you would have to travel to remote areas 
to get to the location or the site where you perform your essential duties. And nobody lives there. You have to travel to do that. Um, then I start to wonder, does that not form part of the essential yeah. duties, having to travel to that location because that's what's required of everybody in that industry, in that occupation. And then further, of course, in a situation like this, you also have to look at what the person is required to do. So if you are required to drive on the site itself, if you are required to do other things, I think this may become a bit of a red herring, the commute issue. You also have to see if the person, in this case, there's a significant pain condition with respect to the neck and the back. Um, and the person says that they cannot do certain other things. For example, they cannot um, drive on the site, walk, climb, stand for extended periods of time, yet that is required of them. So I'm not sure what the occupation is. But yeah. if it is something where there is some sedentary um, occupation needs, but also you need to walk around or drive around or whatever, move around on the site. The question is, how does your how do your symptoms of your severe neck and back pain impact your ability to perform those duties? So you have to look at it globally. When we look at disability claims, you always see in these policies, it says what you have to prove that you cannot perform the essential duties. So if you're able to perform one or two of them, but not the rest, you still qualify because you have to look at it in a global sense. Your job isn't broken up to, well, if you can do these two tasks, but you cannot do the other four, then you, then you don't qualify because you cannot do all of them. No employer is going to hire somebody if they have, if they have essential duties one to six and the person can only perform one to three, but not the other three. You have to look at it in a common sense, real sense approach. And I see this happen often where the insurers may say, well, you have the ability to produce some of these duties, but not the rest, which means to us that you're not disabled. Some policies are even written in such a way that they may say, you have to prove that you are unable to perform each and every duty of your occupation. Obviously, that wording is much more onerous than mm -hmm. wording where it may say you have to prove that you can perform the essential duties of your occupant, just the essential duties. But some of these cases have gone in front of judges where there have been precedent set. And in my mind, if you are unable to perform the essential duties of your occupation, then you should qualify. And if the insurance company denies your claim on that basis, by saying we think you can do some of that, although we recognize you cannot do the others, therefore you are un therefore you're not disabled. That's where you have a discussion with a lawyer as well, regardless of why the claim was denied. And again, as we say every time, we represent clients throughout Canada other than in Quebec and the territories. And if you have questions on any of these, if you have a question with respect to this is what the insurance company says, are they correct? Or the insurance company wants me to do this and that, should I be doing that? Or if my claim has been denied, or if I feel that my claim is going to be denied, remember you can reach out to me and my team, um, and we can offer you a free consultation to discuss with you what your options are so that you can make an informed decision. Because you know, knowledge, as we always say, is power. At least yep. you know what your options are, then you know how to navigate the way forward. It's interesting, too, because, I mean, there's no details with this particular email, but sometimes, I mean, if especially if it's a physical slash technical job, 
you could be getting paid for your traveling time. So once you're in that car, especially if it's a company vehicle, you're on the clock. So the whole the whole fact that you know this isn't part of your job, well, that might not be true, right? No, that that's a very good point. And you know, it, it has. There are some people who do. You know, it's a driving job, be it a truck driver. So it's you do you do driving, but you also have to be loading. You may have to be operating a forklift. So there's a combination of things. And again, I've seen cases where they say, well, we see you may not be able to do this component, but if you can do this, then clearly you can do your job, which just isn't the case. So you've made made a very good point. If you're recognized, if that is part of what is being paid for, yeah, then you should consider, is that not part of the essential duties of this person? It really is a fact-by-fact analysis. Moving on, guys. Again, email is help at disabilityrights.ca. That's where we pull from every week on the show. Uh, says, Martin, I was paid, uh, I was last paid an LTD benefit in July. The insurer said it was pending payments as it was investigating my claim after it was approved. They keep saying they require more information. This week, the case manager told me that my claim is closing December 15th. So like, like, like now, like it did. She did not explain why. She simply said the claim is closing and that's the end of it. I don't understand what is happening. She did not send me any explanation. I had to call her as I always do, but she, uh, she told me uh, about the closure by phone. That's it. This is so frustrating and stressful. I feel that I never know what is going on. And now, out of the blue, my claim is closed. It's done. Is this how they're allowed to act? You know, I don't understand how these <laughs> things happen. Still, uh, of the, you know, there have been cases that have ended up and there have been public judgments about this. How is it that there are still case managers who act in this way? When you have a claim with an insurance company, the insurance company has a duty of good faith. That means that these policies that you have, be it that you purchase the policy by yourself, so it's an individual policy, or if it is a group policy that you have for your employer, they are called peace of mind contracts. And the reason for that is it is supposed to provide you with peace of mind if you are unable to work due to a sickness or an injury. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you should be paying benefits. But it goes beyond that. It also means that the insurance company has to act in a reasonable manner. That policy has rights and obligations that go both ways. And you as the person making the claim, you have some duties where you have to prove that you are under the regular care of a physician, that you cannot work, that you're taking appropriate treatment recommendations and following those. I'm going to assume that that is what happened here. So this person was approved, then payments, I suppose, stopped for a period of time and then carried on again. And now out of the blue, this person had to phone the insurance company, speak to the case manager, and she then tells them, look, your claim is being denied. And that's just how it is. That's not how it is. You have to explain why the claim is being denied. You have to give a basis. You have to put it in writing. And I should say to this, I will say to this person who sent us this email, immediately get in touch with the insurance company as well, either by phone or by email, and you insist that they put in writing their position If the claim is indeed denied, explain why it is denied. Explain what your options are. In other words, are you going to follow through with an appeal? Explain to you that there is a timeline to pursue a legal claim. 
at least give you the options so that once you have that denial in place, then you can understand why it happened. Because clearly this poor person is, as I say, very frustrated and stressed because they have no idea what is happening. This is not how you treat somebody. And you know, there's also on top of that, we see so many mental health cases where a person has been denied because they are living with a mental health, cannot work because of it. Imagine in a circumstance like this. They're already struggling with cognitive functioning. In other words, focus, concentration, the ability to comprehend information. Then this happens. You're in this world where you don't get money. Uh, you're dealing with insurance company. You're struggling with a mental health illness. And you have absolutely zero help at the other end to explain to you these are the steps. Now, this doesn't happen all the time because I see other cases and I've spoken to people recently where the insurance company d does deny the claim. And then the case manager will say, well, you have the option to appeal or maybe getting a lawyer and explain in writing what those are. And that's what should be happening here. So, no, this is not how they should be acting. They should put it in writing. You should insist that they do so if they refuse to do so. In any event, you can reach out to us now and have a discussion as to what the options are. Some people would say to me, um, I'm really stressed. I don't know how to proceed here. And if they don't want to necessarily go with a legal claim at that time, they may then want yeah. to reach out to the manager, right? Don't just accept that what this person's saying to you is correct. Reach out to the manager. Tell the manager what is happening. Be the squeaky wheel. Force them into a position where they actually do. And this doesn't happen often, I must say, mm -hmm. but that they do put it into writing and that you have an understanding as to how to proceed. But if you're in a situation like this, you may very well just want to, um, if that is what you wanted to do, pursue a legal claim, get a lawyer to represent you where you don't have to deal with this. You don't have to deal with these shenanigans and you can focus on your treatment because all communications go through the lawyer once you are represented. The number to carry on as we uh, get in here, one 821 5900 After the show, email help at disabilityrights.ca. got lots to, uh, to get through, so we're going to continue after this short break with the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, we're back. The Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is your guy outside the hour to uh, get a hold of and have a private conversation about things that are troubling you. If you're dealing with that insurance company, you've been uh, cut off or not accepted or been told to appeal for the hundredth time. That's a time to reach Martin for sure. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at uh, disabilityrights.ca. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Uh, next email goes like this. Martin was off work uh, on LTD for two years with symptoms of fatigue, brain fog, widespread pain. I also had mental health issues like anxiety. I also had abdominal issues. After I returned to work, I went off again within five months. I asked the insurer to reopen my claim. In the five months that I had returned, I was diagnosed with myalgic encephalomyelitis and IBS. Wow. I also have a formal depression diagnosis. The insurer says the diagnoses are not the same as when I was off before, and therefore this is not a recurrence but a new claim. I disagree, as I was only given the formal diagnosis once I got in to see the specialist. Is this the same condition? Okay, so this is an interesting question, and I like that we have a question like this so that I can put it into context when we speak about a provision called recurrence because these policies 
the group policies, sometimes individual policies as well, generally will have something called a recurrence provision. And that's what this person is writing about. They have been caught up in this scenario where the insurance company says, this is not a recurrence. Now, what does a recurrence mean? And why is there such a provision? A recurrence provision is in a policy so that if you do go off work because of a condition, an illness, and you then return to work, going back to your full-time duties, and if you go off work again within a specified period of time due to the same condition, then the insurance company must start to pay you benefits again without you having to requalify or wait through something called an elimination period. So it allows you to try and get back to work. If you're able to work, great. But if you go off again within a specified period of time, your claim should continue because it has recurred. Now, these policies, and they're all different to some degree, but generally it would be that the recurrence period is six months. In other words, if you go off work, you go back to work on a specified date, and if you go off again within six months due to the same condition, then that is a reoccurrence of your claim. The insurance company should continue to pay your benefits. You don't need to have to wait another three or four months to satisfy the waiting period and then start a new claim. But as with everything in all these policies, there are some pitfalls, I suppose. The wording in the policies will be, you have it, it will be a recurrence if it is due to the same condition the same illness or the same injury and then you have things like this where a person was off work and we're looking at something called myalgic encephalomyelitis which some people may recognize as chronic fatigue a symptom a type of chronic fatigue um, it takes a while anywhere to get in to see specialists and to get formal diagnoses. So you may be going to your doctor saying that I have brain fog, I've got widespread pain, uh, I've got extreme fatigue, I've got low energy, I have difficulty thinking and focusing, um, I'm anxious about this, there may be some depressive symptoms, and the doctor may not be able to diagnose you immediately because the doctor may not be a specialist. And then you see the doctor on an ongoing basis, your claim is now being approved, in this case, the person went back to work and then finally got in to see the specialist who looked at all the symptoms and was in a position, because of their specialty, to provide a diagnosis. There's also now a formal depression diagnosis. So what the insurance company is doing here is saying, we're looking at this. We now see that myalgic encephalomyelitis has been diagnosed together with IBS and depression. You didn't have these diagnoses previously when you were off claim on claim, not at work. So we see this as a new claim and not the same condition. And that's not how this works. Just because the person didn't have the diagnosis or diagnoses when they were off work before, but now do, and it's maybe using different words to describe the same thing, that doesn't mean that it is a new condition. So when they say they disagree, I understand why they disagree with the insurance company's position and Obviously, on the face of it, I think what they're saying makes sense, and I agree with them. One, of course, wants to look at all the medical information to see whether um, this is correct. But there is definitely a claim to be argued here. So to this person, I would say, please, as with everybody else, reach out to us so we can look at the actual denial letter 
and that we can review the medical records with you so that we can provide you an opinion as to what your options are and what you can do with respect to this denial, be it um, retaining a lawyer so that the lawyer can represent you to see how and, and to assist you to get you the compensation that you should be entitled to. Again, appreciate the email uh, completely and the uh, the phone number going forward to get hold of Martin, which I'm sure you're going to use, is one 855 821 Okay, let's see what else is going on here. Martin, we got a good stack of emails. Uh, next one says, guys, the insurer is making without prejudice payments on a month-by-month basis and keeps telling me that my claim is being investigated. They have made it clear that there is an admission of liability, that the claim is not approved but also not denied. In their letters, they keep referring to uh, referring me to the Insurance Act of BC and tell me there is a certain period of time within which I can take legal action. However, I don't understand this as they also clearly told me that my claim is not denied. I'm worried that they will continue to tell me that the claim is pended, uh, not approved, but also not denied. He's in limbo. And that somehow my time to file the legal claim has run out. I am confused. We all are now. Break that down, Martin. What's going on? Seriously. <laughs> It's not funny, but goodness, man. Oh, my gosh. Um, This is a very frustrating situation to be in. And again, this will lead to anxiety. I can see that this must be very stressful because at this point, month by month, you're receiving a payment and they're telling you every month that they give you a payment. We're just doing this without prejudice, meaning without um, any prejudice to our rights. Don't assume that because we're paying you a benefit, that we are liable to pay you that benefit, that we are accepting your claim, but we're doing so really to protect ourselves, I suppose. Um, Now, what's happening here is the person's claim is not approved. They are receiving a monthly benefit on a month-by-month basis while the insurance company says that they are investigating the claim, and this person is providing more and more information to support the claim. And the confusing part, and I can understand why this is confusing, in the letter, which this is not generally what you see, they would say, if this does happen, we're going to investigate the claim and we're gathering further information as an update. But in this, they're also telling him or about the running of a limitation period. Now, a limitation period is a timeline within which you can pursue a legal claim. And it's different from an appeal timeline. So the limitation period that we're speaking of generally begins to run um there are various triggering events and this person is in bc so the triggering events would be the the date that you know that your claim is denied or the date of the last payment had a payment been made in other words if your claim had been approved and then they paid you and then stopped paying you the date from the last payment and bc really is the date from the next payment would have been made but in this case it's confusing because the claim is not approved but also not denied so they haven't said to him, your claim is denied, therefore there's a triggering event that the limitation period starts to run. And these payments are made without prejudice. So it's a confusing situation as to, is there a denial? When they clearly say that there isn't, yet they're telling him about the running of a limitation period. I'm not sure if the person who wrote the letter just simply did that, tell, told them about the running of the limitation period because they felt they should just put that information in there, which really just makes things much more confusing. So I'd recommend, as I did with the previous email, um, please contact us so we can actually review the denial letter with you because you do not want to miss that timeline to file a lawsuit, a legal claim, if there is a timeline that is actually running. 
And I also understand this must be extremely uh, frustrating because your claim is not approved, yet you're you're receiving payments. So I I would say, like I say to others, be the squeaky wheel, be on them, put pressure on them, say, look, where is where is a decision on this? I cannot carry on like this. This is creating further anxiety and stress for me. You need to make a decision. I've given you all the information that you've requested. My doctors have supported that I cannot work. What is it that you're doing? Make a decision already. It's a really confusing one, so we're going to leave that one up to a phone call, too, I think would be the uh, the best idea for sure. one 821 By the way, any other questions, you can use this uh, website called MyDisabilityQuestions.com. The way that works is you go on, you ask your questions. The database is also searchable, which means if a question uh, similar to yours has been asked, you can search for it and save a bit of time. If not, leave your question there. Martin and his team answer these all the time. It's completely anonymous. Don't have to leave a name. Just throw it up there, and it will get answered again, mydisabilityquestions.com. But the email address, help at disabilityrights.ca, that's what we're using in the show. In fact, no, I got one from My Disability Questions. We'll get to that after a short break here. It's a short one, so we'll do that. And, of course, the phone call anytime to reach Martin and the team. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. More of the disability law show is coming up. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And we are back. Thanks for sticking around through the break here on the Disability Law Show to reach out to Martin Willems and his team. That's the uh, the idea of the show. We educate you here, but you're going to have questions afterwards. If you're dealing with that long-term disability insurer, at, uh, at any rate, you want to make the phone call, one 821 5900 email help at disabilityrights.ca. And I did mention just prior to that uh, that break, mydisabilityquestions.com, which there, this one's coming from, Martin says, is there a limited time to appeal? The insurer said I must do so within 30 days, but I cannot get in to see my doctor as she's on vacation. I'm hopeful to see her in January, but that will be after the 30 days have expired. Also, what is the difference between the appeal timeline and the section that speaks about another timeline to file a legal claim? I get the, I get the confusion for sure, right? Yes, again, you know, I suppose today we're speaking about very technical issues, but these are good questions. So the first question is, is there a limited time to appeal? Now, I have looked at many, many policies over the years. I have seen policies that have in them a defined period within which you can submit an appeal to the insurance company. Those policies are in the minority. Very, very few of them actually speak about the ability to appeal. Most policies speak about what the definition is for total disability, when you have to submit the claim, etc. And they may speak about the opportunity to pursue a legal action and how long you have to do that. But they don't speak about appeals. So when an insurance company says to you, you must submit an appeal within 30 days or 90 days or whatever it may be, I'm going to look at the policy. Does the policy say that there is a limited timeline? If it does not say that, where do they come up with this timeline? Is it a unilaterally decided thing that they've decided, well, you've got 30 days, we're going to give you 30 days? Who says that? I mean, the appeal opportunity is entirely an internal mechanism that is created by the insurance companies 
if it's not detailed in the policy, where they're giving you an opportunity to submit more evidence in support of your claim that will be adjudicated by the very same entity that denied your claim in the first place. So you have to wonder about that. Um, and this, of course, creates stress now because this person has to do so as being told by the insurance company that she has 30 days, he or she has 30 days to appeal, yet the doctor is away. So real-world circumstances are preventing this person from getting the proper evidence if they do want to go down this road of an appeal to submit it to the insurance company within the 30 days because the doctor is away. And you know what? Even if the doctor had not been away, many people struggle to get in to see their doctors these days um, on short notice, let alone then having to have the doctor write a letter to support why it is that you are disabled and the insurance company made the wrong decision. So many people do miss that timeline if it is only 30 days. But don't despair. Um, if you feel that you've missed the deadline, don't think that you don't have other options. You do. Definitely you do. So contact us because I do not agree with these mandatory set timelines unless it is detailed in the policy. If you get in to see your doctor, if you do decide to go through with the appeal, get in to see your doctor and Jeremy, get the evidence that you need and then submit it to the insurer and see what happens if that is what your decision is. The other question here is, what is the difference between the appeal timeline and the section that speaks about another timeline to file a legal claim? So the appeal timeline, as I said, is something that is set mandatory by the insurance company unless it is detailed in the appeal, in the policy. And that is where you get evidence, more evidence, more letters from your doctors. Um, sometimes doctors say, I don't know what else to say. What more can I say? I've already said it all. Um, to try and convince this insurance company that they made the yeah. wrong decision. And the other one that we're speaking about is the timeline to file a legal claim. That's the one that we just spoke about before we took the break. Yes. That one is a formal timeline. That one is detailed in the Insurance Act depending on what policy you are in. Oh, sorry, what province you are in. Mm -hmm. And that timeline is very important. You cannot miss it. Even if you are engaged in a, an appeal, it doesn't interrupt the timeline. It's called a limitation period. It doesn't interrupt the limitation period from running. So if your claim is denied April 1, 2023, for most provinces, the appeal, the limitation period is two years. Your timeline will run out March 31, 2025, one would say. So two years from the date that the claim was denied. And people have been caught up in this process many times where they appeal, 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 and then the timeline runs out. And then the insurance company says, oh, well, too, too bad. You're too late now to file a legal claim. So you have to be very, very aware that once that claim is denied, there is a limitation period that is running. And it runs whether or not you engage in the appeal process, which again is a process that you are trying to convince the insurer that they made the wrong decision. This appeal doesn't go to a different a third party who is independent. It goes to the exact same entity that yeah, made internal. that decision. Yeah. It's internal, as you say. So yeah. um, reach out to us if the claim is denied so we can at least discuss with you what your options are. And again, we offer these free consultations and you would understand this is what would happen if I did the appeal and this is what would happen if I decided to pursue a legal claim. And that's what we do, right? We represent clients to pursue legal claims where all the communications go through us you can focus on your treatment, you can focus on seeing your doctors and leave the communications with us. And our goal is to get you the compensation that you deserve. 
You know, that uh, that pretty strong deadline for the legal claim, um, explain, I mean, if there's extenuating circumstances, you know, physical or whatever that somebody doesn't get in on, whatever it is, explain the concept of that uh, relief from forfeiture when it comes to possibly getting around that. Is there a chance that ever happens or is it definite? No, once you miss a deadline, you're done. You're done. You know, a relief against forfeiture, relief from forfeiture is an equitable principle which um, our courts have allowed people to relieve them from forfeiting their rights under a policy if okay. they are extinguishing in good circum- reasonable circumstances. But uh, that applies to missing timelines to submit a claim or missing a timeline to provide proof of claim. In other words, you may have become disabled on day one and right. then didn't submit a claim within the okay. 30 days or 90 days you may have not done that because wcb paid your benefit and then a year later they stopped and now you're submitting the claim now the insurance company is saying you're too late so there were reasonable circumstances you didn't know that you had to submit a claim to the insurer because wcb was paying that's what it applies to with respect to missing a limitation period it doesn't generally apply to that having said that there are some circumstances where we would want to look at the conduct of the insurance company, what the policy actually says, and did the insurance company advise you of the running of a limitation period? Because the insurance company, the insurance act requires that. And if they did not, the position would be that the limitation period didn't start to run. So do not accept that if you miss the two-year timeline, that that's the end of it. There may be some limited circumstances where you still may be able to pursue a claim. Yeah. Just want to know that little tidbit of information. Again, you can always reach out to Martin for uh, for more of that if you have any questions or simply send along an email. It might appear on a future show. The address we use every week, always the same, always the same, help at disabilityrights.ca. You can follow up with a phone call to Martin too, one 821 5900 And for any other questions, mydisabilityquestions.com. That's made available to you freely and anonymously to throw your questions in there. And they, from time to time, appear on this show as well, right? So we'll take a short break and get to more of the Disability Law Show. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And welcome back to the Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is your guy. Sam Firu Tamarkin, LLP. Reach out anytime. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca is that email address. Uh, let's get to this one, Martin. Is there a law regarding long-term disability insurer providing me with a copy of my personal information? I was sent to see a specialist at their request, and the report went back to the insurance company, but did not go to my family physician. I don't have it. Do I have the right to ask for a copy? You know, it's an interesting question, and there are two parts to this. So the first one is, can I request from the insurance company a copy of my personal information, which I assume would also be a copy of my file? So depends on which province you are in, but there is... You know, there is legislation in place where you can request a copy of your file. The insurance company may say, well, you need to provide us with a written request with an authorization. And then, yes, they have to provide you with a copy of your claims file. Um, Some may say that once they've requested a report from a physician, in other words, they send you to one of their doctors or they send you to an independent medical examiner where the insurance company says, we've reviewed the file. We now want you to go and see this doctor and we're going to pay for that. So we're going to pay for you to be assessed. 
This doctor is not going to treat you. This doctor is going to get, do an assessment and write a report to us responding to various questions that we will ask that doctor. That report belongs to us. Uh, I've spoken to a few people over the past month where this has arisen. I've asked, do you have a copy of, the, of that report? And most of them have said no. Others have said, the insurance company said to me that they cannot give me a copy, but they will provide my doctor a copy. So my position on this would be is if they have sent you to a specialist and the specialist has written a report and the insurance company is now saying, well, we've sent you to this doctor, this doctor doesn't believe that you're disabled or this doctor doesn't believe that you're properly being treated and is making some treatment recommendations that they should provide your doctor with a copy of that report. Because how on earth are you going to respond to what is that doctor is saying without your doctor having an opportunity to review the report, to review that doctor's position? And most importantly, if that doctor is making recommendations, to review those recommendations, why they are being made, and then the doctor can make an informed decision as well to see whether they agree with those recommendations or not. So the short answer to this, I suppose, is... If there is a report that has been generated by the insurance company and if they haven't provided to you, insist that they provide it to your doctor so that your doctor can then review it with you, which is generally what does happen. I, I, no. it's, I see that much more than when they say, well, we're not going to give you the report. I don't generally see that. I see them the way they do provide the report, but not to the person making the claim, to the doctor, and then recommend that they go and have a discussion with the doctor. This emails the beauty as we move on to the next one. Martin says, I have appealed my denied LTD twice. The most recent denial came after my doctor wrote a letter detailing my restrictions and limitations. I have a mental health disability that was exacerbated by the workplace. The insurer is saying that there is no objective findings and is requesting test results. I'm so frustrated. There are no scans, etc., that show my depression or my panic attacks when I struggle to breathe and I'm shaking uncontrollably. So everything I say and my doctor observes is simply disregarded. What can I do about that? This is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, once the claim was submitted... I don't know what evidence was submitted in the first instance, but since then, you've, this person has appealed it twice, and they have provided all the evidence that they have, and I'm sure that would have included letters from the doctors detailing what would be deemed restrictions and limitations. As is said here, the most recent denial came after my doctor wrote a letter detailing my restrictions and limitations. So when you have a mental health illness, it is true. You're not going to be able to see it on a CT scan or get on a treadmill by giving you objective testing to say that you have some deficit. Yes, it is largely um, based on self-report, but doctors are medically trained to assess all types of illnesses, right? all types of conditions. And if the doctor is in a position to be giving an informed opinion, which has happened here, writing a letter, detailing what they observe, and I've seen this happen many times, doctors in their clinical notes will detail what they see, not just what they are told. They may see that the person is shaking, that the person is having a panic attack, or that the person is speaking with a low affect, that they're not making eye contact, that they look disheveled, that they steamingly didn't brush their hair, whatever it may be. Um, the doctors are medically trained. They know what to look for. Um, and these policies, for the most part, do not, do not require that you have to submit objective medical evidence to support your disability claim. Right. 
and mental health illnesses make up the vast majority of cases in terms of disability claims. Really? They're not, yes, they do. Wow. And that has increased um, over the years. So, and it, it's not just in this country. Medical no, health Post-COVID, right? Post-COVID, for sure. Yeah. Bo- yeah. Post-COVID, it has increased. Before COVID, it was already a big thing yeah. um, because people struggle. And we live in a society where there is a shortage of doctors. There is a shortage of other medical personnel. Um, not everything is funded through the social welfare system. So some people must make, need counseling, but their extended health may be limited that they can only get four or six sessions per year. They're not being paid by the insurance company. And if they are being paid, it's a limited percentage of their predisability income. So they have other financial obligations and don't have the funds to attend treatment. So it becomes the snowball effect where the person goes off work because of mental health, tries to see a doctor. Doctors are overburdened. It's very difficult to get in to see a psychiatrist. You may not have the funds to see a psychologist or a counselor or therapist. And then you have an insurance company saying to you, oh, by the way, we don't believe it, you or your doctor. Yeah. So it, it, this is not how it should work. And again, when I speak about appeals, you've done it twice now. And then you ask, what what options do you have? Well, the, <laughs> the option and is to contact a lawyer and have a lawyer deal with the insurance company if that is possible in your circumstances, which I believe it would be. Um, objective findings, that is a frustrating thing that I read when I see denial letters when somebody is living with, even with the chronic pain cases, like I was saying before, or fibromyalgia or myalgic encephalitis. Again, there are no necessary tests available. No MRI, CT scan can detail these things. Yet the insurance companies say, oh, we don't see the objective evidence, completely disregarding the person's reports and the doctor's reports of what they see. So this is an ongoing problem that we see, and we have lots of these cases in our case list where we are fighting for our clients to get what they deserve in terms of their disabilities. Not to mention the doctors. I mean, some of them, are, most of them are pretty good at writing these lengthy, detailed reports, but enough is enough. It's not their job, so these insurance companies got to take that into consideration too. But they're great medical professionals, but they don't like the paperwork and this type of thing gets be a bit of a drag after a while. Look, you want to reach out to Martin anytime now that we're uh, up against the clock. You can do so. In fact, you're encouraged to do so before you make a move. Get some uh, get some information at least. It won't cost you anything to pick up a phone. one 821 5900 The number. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. And uh, you can continue there anytime or any other questions. You can use mydisabilityquestions.com. And we'll catch you next time here on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.